0: Carol the coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people everyday almost 5 years almost 5 years ago i got a call from a woman who was in great distress because her husband was a sex addict and he didn't have any empathy and i knew that i had to help her by helping him to develop that And I feel like any professional who is worth anything, uh, they have to really be sensitive to what the addict is going through, what the partner is going through, and what needs to be done to help them heal. And really, one of the first, absolutely the first, interventions is oftentimes with the church. So today, I'm interviewing Daryl Brazil who's a pastor from New Hope Recovery Ministry. And he is another advocate for not only addicts, but their wives. And he wants the church and congregations to understand what is going on and how they can be more helpful and intervene at another level. So Daryl, welcome to the Sex Hope with Carol Coates show.
1: Thanks. Good to be here today.
0: Yeah. Well, you are really on a mission, and I know that you come from it from a lot of different perspectives. And so I wanted you to tell me, what's it like for a pastor when a man confesses to sexual struggles? Because you've been a pastor for how long?
1: I've been in ministry for over 30 years now. And so, um, and then involved with pornography and sexual addiction recovery for my own recovery twenty two years, and then very quickly thereafter starting to work with with individual men, and then a few years later, working with couples and running been running groups since two thousand and one. so for for a while now, to say the least.
0: No kidding. So what is it like when a man confesses to sexual struggles? How do you see that, and how do you intervene?
1: Well, I think, you know, whenever a man comes to his pastor and says, you know, hey, I've been struggling with pornography, the the tendency, the temptation for pastors is to just immediately uh, – well, let me backtrack for a minute. You know, the first place that a pastor needs to, to respond to that man is that priestly, priestly role of receiving a confession, of encouraging him, letting him know that God is not abandoning him, that um, this too is forgivable, and that God is still at work in his life. Unfortunately, for many pastors, that's often where it ends, that, okay, he's confessed to it, so therefore surely this will be the end of it. And unfortunately, as I'm sure you know quite well and most of your listeners know quite well, that especially if it's an addict of an addictive nature, which for many or most it is, then uh-huh. just simply confessing it one time doesn't solve the problem. And so an inherent, you know, what I've learned through the years is that I actually have to override some of the compassion that I have for my men as a way of helping them dig deeper and also, too, as a way of making sure that their wife is protected.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense. You really help them dig deep, and you also hold them accountable for what they're going to need to do to work through this, whether they are a single man or a married man. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because that that are, therein lies the real problem is that many times, past you know, pastors see the individual in front of them. They have great compassion for him. But what they don't recognize is just how devastating the damage that he is doing to those in his wake, especially if he is married. Um, for example, uh, you know, I've been doing this for, as I said, twenty-one years now, twenty-one plus years. And originally, I thought that when I, you know, in my own story, I was always on the lookout for help. Uh, There was never a day in my life that I looked at porn that I did not have a very strong, intrinsic belief that this was wrong. And yet I was doing Hmm. it anyway. And so because of that, my radar was always up looking for anyone that I thought might could help me with it. And so the first time that I heard someone share his story, man, I was, I was on him just instantly saying, okay, show me how to find freedom myself. And so when I first started, uh, when I first started a group, to be honest with you, I was fearful that I was going to be overrun. <laughs> because I thought that everyone out there was in the same place that I was in. And what I found instead was that over the last 21 plus years of running groups, of it being pretty common public knowledge in our area and even beyond our area that I work with men in this arena, that maybe one man out of 20 comes to me because he's convicted and he wants out himself. The other 19 come because a wife has finally said, get help or get out, or they've lost a job, or they've hit some monumental, um, painful place where they finally reach out looking for help. And so one of the things that that has taught me is that, um, first of all, a pastor needs to recognize that even seemingly sincere confessions are often greatly lacking. Okay. That most men, when they go to their pastor, when they go to a counsel, even a counselor or you know uh, some form of people helper, when they say, yeah, I'm struggling a little bit with porn, they're typically, my experience has been, that 9 out of 10, or maybe nine, maybe, <laughs> maybe 19 out of 20 men, what, what they nine. initially reveal is the tip of the iceberg. And so because oh, of that, a pastor has to be willing to ask some difficult questions about frequency, about types of porn, about uh, has it progressed to anything beyond a, you know, a screen or a magazine because it's, it's all too common for men to want to do a confession and feel a little bit better, but not really get to the root of how bad the issues really are.
0: Well, yeah, they, they do with you what they do with themselves. They're in a state of denial. They do it with their wife. They do it with their counselor. So I love that you have this increased awareness that they're going to need to do that deeper dive, and you've got to ask the tougher questions. So let me just share something with you. More often than not, as a counselor and a coach, and having been in this business since 2007, I have found that it's the woman who calls for the man. And in counseling, we would say to her, I'm sorry, but I can't speak with you. Your husband's going to have to be the one to call. And Truly, that does happen, and there are ethical reasons for that, but I have so changed my stance on that. When she calls, here's what I do. I say, I need you both to come in so I can explain about this problem and the potential for intensity and frequency, and I want to make sure you both get some help and support because more than likely, they're going to stay together. So let me ask you, you do a deeper dive, but what do you see? What do pastors usually do when they're working with a partner? Because typically they see the partner as having a potential problem due to her reactivity. Wouldn't you agree?
1: That's one of the biggest problems that I have experienced with our couples who have been to their pastors, church leaders, etc.,
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I I cringe at the damage that has been done to many many countless wives by well-intentioned but completely misinformed religious leaders. And so yes, uh, if I and I get I get I get wives many I get calls many times from wives as well. And the main mm-hmm. thing that I try to do when I get a call from a wife is I try to empower her with, uh, first of all, knowledge that um, whatever mm-hmm. she's sensing, whatever she's, you know, whatever her her gut is telling her, um, needs to be needs to be pursued. Um, Our gut is always, um, our, our gut, when our gut, our polyvagal system, when it fires off, it always fires off for a reason. Now, sometimes we misinterpret the reason, but that doesn't mean there wasn't a reason to begin with. And so wives need to know that, you know, you're not crazy, and these signs are real, and if your husband truly is not doing anything inappropriate, and he cares for your heart, then he's also going to be willing to go through a process to help you understand that. And so mm-hmm. I, too, when when a wife calls, um, I typically, one of the encouragements I give wives is I say, yeah, make an appointment. And if your husband balks at it, tell him you're going without him. And to this point, I've never had a wife show up without her husband. <laughs> They, they, they at yeah. least feel like they need to come to tell, quote, their side of the story. And so and, and absolutely, I encourage. Go ahead. I,
0: mean, I, I find it so helpful because obviously it's part of addiction. We're not – when you're an addict, you do minimize and you do lie by omission and you don't tell the whole story. I mean – as an addict who may just be coming clean for the very first time, they are hoping that the little bit they share is enough. They don't want to face it. So I love that you asked the wife to come in. And and I I want to tell our listening audience, as well as any pastors that also listen, because I know you were on Kristen Carey's show, The Living Truth, and they are out of Indianapolis, which is also where I am. And, I mean, they're a phenomenal organization. And, People don't know what they don't know. Unless you've really been trained in treating addicts and partners, you may think you're doing a good job when really you're pointing the finger at her or you're not asking the right questions of him, and they just don't know any better. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Absolutely. And I think one of the things that is so lacking in pastoral training um, and in around this whole issue is the whole you mentioned earlier, and I, I wanted to be sure and come back to that is that reactivity issue for the wife mm-hmm. um, the wife uh, what what men what men in general do not realize and many times pastors especially do not realize is that when a wife discovers her husband is looking at pornography or going to strip clubs or it had other forms of sexual acting out outside of the marriage, it strikes at the deepest core level of attachment for, for, for the wife. And I believe that that level of pain is right up there with the same level of grief of losing a loved one. Because in many ways she just has and not only she just not just she's not just lost a loved one, she's lost her primary attachment. Because in that moment when she begins to realize, oh, I don't you know, I don't know even know who this person is. He's been lying to me all these years, saying everything is fine, and all the while he's been seeking sexual pleasure from someone besides me, from others besides me. And so her world gets turned upside down, and as a result of that, many times she appears unstable. She appears so reactive. She she is angry. She is um, struggling to control her emotions. And so in that place, the the easy you know the 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 easy thing to approach is her reactivity rather than stepping back and saying, huh, there's some real reasons for this strong of reaction. Mm -hmm. And so what often happens is the wife gets labeled as the quote crazy one. And then out of that, um, the husband's issues get minimized or at times the wife even gets blamed uh, unfortunately, many pastors quickly go to the place of, well, how often are you being sexual? And completely miss the, the reality of the deception that has been going on probably since the beginning of their relationship.
0: Well, and they don't even know that it's not about sexual activity. His sexual activity right. has nothing to do with their sex life, as a matter of fact. Many, many, many couples have wonderful sex lives despite his sexual addiction before discovery occurs. And, you know, they don't understand about trauma states. And that reactivity is a trauma response to being betrayed and having the worst thing next to the loss of a child happen to you in your life. So you, ha- you are a, a CSAT or a PSAT.
1: I'm a PSAP-S, PSAP-S, which means I've done the the full CSAT training and the supervision, um, but my background and my credentials are pastoral and not clinical.
0: Got it. Well, you definitely understand the issues that face couples in this situation. so I want to ask you a couple of other questions. You know, shared what are some of the common traps that a pastor might fall into, who doesn't know what he doesn't know. Um, And what do you tell them? Because I see you as an advocate, a church advocate and a pastoral advocate for helping them to learn about this special niche. So Do you speak to congregations? Do you speak to church leadership? What do you do to educate our pastors and our our leaders in the church?
1: Well, unfortunately, Carol, to be real honest with you, not very much because those doors do not open easily. Churches Mm -hmm. have historically had an incredible resistance to addressing this issue. They most okay. churches will have one or two sermons a year where something is addressed in the sense of porn and adultery's bad, don't do it, and that's it okay and and so from that um you know Kara, I believe that. Uh, with my background and et cetera, that I have a very natural, logical place where I can speak directly on these issues. And I could be of great benefit to churches, uh, seminaries, et cetera. And just to be real honest, um, I have had, I can't tell you how many experiences through the years where someone in the church has gotten excited about having me come, and the leadership says, oh, yeah, that's an important thing. We should do that. And we get right up to the point of buying plane tickets, and then someone in leadership gets cold feet, and the rug gets pulled out from under us, and the training never happens. And that uh-huh. has happened with, some, real honestly, some places uh, that I truly wanted to go to, like Hawaii, Alaska, places like that. And yet it gets pulled out because at the last minute churches start stepping back and someone in leadership says this is too hot of a potato this is too scary and unfortunately right. i believe that part of part of why that happens is because people in leadership are struggling in this arena and their terror of having their own secrets exposed sometimes is what i believe short-circuits these opportunities
0: you are stead on you know what we have found professionally through research is that pastors and policemen or women um, fall prey to this in part for pastors because there is such rigidity around sexuality and for policemen, because they're in such a stressful job with a lot of time at their desk or in their car waiting, you know, waiting for the next crime. And we all know that opportunity, availability, accessibility, and anonymity keep people locked in the situation. So it would be really hard for a pastor to admit that he might have a problem with pornography or sexual acting. Out.
1: Well, I- um, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I would I would add for pastors, there's, um, you know, I think one of the biggest drivers of addictive behaviors is isolation. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. the vast majority of pastors are very isolated. Now, they're amongst people all the time, but right. one of the difficult things in the pastoral role is friendship, peers. Mm-hmm. Typically, most pastors are really good at at hearing other people's problems of leading, of engaging. But they, most pastors have no one that they really confide in. And so in that place, um, their lifelong struggle with pornography, masturbation, sexual issues is, is never brought into the light. And so they become extremely skilled at compartmentalization. And compartmentalization is something we all do, it's a necessary skill of life, but for a pastor to spend days, weeks on end involved in pornography, and then to, you know, Sunday morning comes and he's got to flip a switch, put on a different hat, and smile and be the good pastor – or he might be in his office looking at porn on a Tuesday afternoon and get a phone call and have to go to the lo- go to the hospital and he can he's become very skilled at changing hats and going into the other person his pastor person and so out of that it becomes an increasingly more difficult place to really get real and honest about where he's really at.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point. Um, So now let me just ask, uh, how has the biblical concept of submission perhaps fed into the pastoral belief of what you need to do to be a good wife, just like you said. You know, are you having enough sex with your husband? How do you think that um, biblical concept of submission plays into it, maybe has been misunderstood or used against the partner?
1: Yeah, that one's one that uh, we could spend a lot of time on, and, and I don't want to get too preachy, but... The verse that's often pulled out is Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. The inherent problem with that is two primary issues. The first one is the verse right before that is really the heading for that whole section. And the verse right before that, Ephesians 5.21, says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I am a huge advocate of what I call mutual submission. I believe that I am called to submit to my wife just as much as she's called to submit to me because I believe that that's what Ephesians 5.21 says. But then to help us understand that, it's also critical to note that submission in Scripture is always used in the passive voice. Now, it's been a long, long time since my high school English class but passive voice just simply means that um, I, I surrender this for myself. It means that, um, for example, nowhere does Scripture say, to, you know, what, what Scripture says about submission, it says wives submit to husbands, children submit to parents, members submit to elders, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's mm-hmm. never an active voice. It never says, Husbands, make your wives submit. It never says, Elders, make your members submit.
0: It's Mm -hmm. always
1: in that middle passive voice, which implies a voluntary, willing choice that says, I choose to be in submission. And unfortunately, what often happens in the church or even in Christian marriages is I can't tell you how many wives have been told by their pastors or, even worse, by their own husbands in what I believe is forms of spiritual abuse that says, you need to submit to me by being sexual to me as often as I want it and how I want it and in my porno- pornified ways. And that has done incredible damage to... a. a, a more women than we want to even consider. And it is, well, a, makes... in my opinion, a, a horrible abuse of scripture.
0: Okay, so I'm going to remember that term, mutual submission. And is that your term or is that also pastorally taught?
1: It's it's pastorally taught. It's a, uh, I. You caught me off guard on the question, but I'm sure that if you looked in in numerous commentaries, you would find the term in in some of them.
0: Okay. And so I I think that's interesting, and obviously that's where so many people don't have the background that you do to understand biblically the passage before. And... um, you know, obviously the time frame and and guidelines. You know, Daryl, it just sounds like you are really somebody who understands. And how do how do men and women contact you? Uh,
1: the easiest way is through my website, newhopeforsi.com. That's new hope, but then the number four and then S dot com it's shorthand for new hope for sexual integrity
0: okay and and then are you out there anywhere? Do you blog or do you do youtube? I mean you got a lot of wisdom. Do you share it other ways?
1: Well, to be honest with you, I have not created the time i my website has a ton of inf- ton of my audio teachings and information those sort of things. I am very, very busy with uh, meeting with individuals and couples. Um, I do have my New Hope for Sexual Integrity Recovery Manual that I've written, and I'm actually um, about uh, this week, I'm hoping I've blocked off time this week for for writing and hope to have a pretty major revision of it in the, in the coming months. But, um, no, I'm not what you would call out there um, because, real honestly, uh, I've got too many, you know, too many people who are hurting and wanting help, and so finding that balance has been a difficult one for me. Uh, We run Mm -hmm. groups locally here, and then we also have, uh, for for the men, I also have an online group and daily online check-ins. So, and all that can be found on our website at newhopeforsi.com.
0: Got it. And so what resources are you aware of for partners that maybe extend Um, your willingness to speak with them?
1: Sure. Um, Resources, I work pretty close. I work very closely with my wife. My wife has run groups for wives since 2004. And so Mm -hmm. my wife and I do a lot of, uh, we we go, we walk almost every morning, and that's kind of our, she's part-time staff for New Hope Recovery Ministries, and our morning walks is part of our staff, is kind of our staff meeting. (laughs) And so, um, huge fan of Sherry Keffer's, um, um, I'm pulling a blank on her, the title of her book, Sherry Keffer's book. um, that's intimate deception. Intimate. That's right.
0: Yeah. Mhm.
1: And we go. Yeah, I go, I go all the way back that. to. Yeah, I go all the way back to Lori Hall's Affair of the Mind book. I was using that with my guys many many years ago. Um, I'm finishing it. Well, I'm I've done the first part of Dr. Omar Manwala's Illumination Training, and we'll be doing his second part on treatment uh, starting next month. And um, I really look forward to the day that Minwala gets, does gets the book uh, gets a book form out, so that uh, his content, especially his secret sexual basement content, is more readily mm-hmm. available, um, because mm-hmm. it's just so impactful and so helpful for wives to understand. This is one. This is why this is so traumatic. And, and two, to just, and, and that, that whole concept that he has of the damage to the second brain, which is a woman's gut, that sense that she's had that something's wrong, but it's been gaslighted and lied about for so long that she doubts her own ability to believe what she's, you know, to believe herself. And so instead she accepts the verbal reality created by the addicted husband. And um, his his materials have been very impactful for me and for the guys that I work with.
0: Well I agree. So I'm going to invite you to come to one of my trainings that helps couples to heal using a new vantage point and a very partner sensitive approach. I am there's a very good chance that ITAP will be promoting that or even incorporating it into their new couples module that we're developing. So uh, Super. be on the look at, it's called the Early Every Couple Model.
1: Sure. I've got a great story for you in regards to your Helping Couples Heal workbook. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> One of my guys, oh, it was about a couple months ago, uh, in the check-in time, he was talking about his wife getting triggered, and he was working through your workbook, and, um, and he, he said, I, I, had it, I had it in front of me, or maybe he had some, some script notes or something. He said, I just tried the script. And he said, mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. In five minutes, we were done with the trigger. He said, I felt like I was oh. some sort of ninja recovery dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had no idea that we could get through a trigger that quickly and with that with so so much less trauma than we had in the past. So I do oh, yep. use I I do encourage my guys to work through your workbook and they found it extremely helpful and I know it's been beneficial for their wives because they are learning to not um you know slide down that that defensive route and go down the old spirals that they have done so many times in the past. So I'm greatly appreciative to you of your workbook.
0: Well, my new book, Help Them Heal, Teaching You Both, it's for them, Teaching You Both How to Mm -hmm. Heal Your Relationship After Sexual Betrayal, is coming out June 1st. So I would love to interview him, the show, because, you know, I, I have to be honest. Some wives go, well, scripted. I hate it. And I'm like, please let him practice what he needs to do. He needs to practice this so it becomes natural. So, Daryl, thank you so much. I know you've got a hard stop. You've got a pass through this morning. I I appreciate you doing this, us and have fun on your retreat.
1: Will do. We're looking forward to it. It's also a chance to get away and spend a little time in the mountains, which is... Um, always one of my favorite things to do.
0: Absolutely. Another opportunity to be with God, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: All right. You tell your wife hello and we'll talk real soon.
1: All right. Thank you, Carol.
0: Uh-huh. Thank you. Bye bye. Well, the truth is, obviously that's a man who gets it and he's in a pivotal place in the church. I'm so happy about that. Sad to hear that it's tough to get that platform. Actually, I've got a hard stop today too. I am going to go record my book, Help Them Heal. It's going to be on Audible. Yay. Now it's a workbook. It's almost twice as thick as Help or Heal. So it's got a lot of information. And if you're one of those men or women that just oh, you'd rather share the concepts while you're mowing the lawn and driving the, driving to and from, I said, oh, what the heck. I'm going to pay the extra money and put that out there for you. So as always, I want to say I'm humbly grateful for you. And, yeah, do look for that book, would you, June 1st on Amazon. And if you want that 10% discount, you can go to my publisher, www.com. S-A-N-O-Press, that's S-A-N-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com. And just look for help them heal. Have a great day. And as I always say, there will only be one of you at all times fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. See you next week. More sex help with Carol the Coach.